Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Good morning, Center Church. How are you? It is good to see you in a different light. I moved three feet forward, and you look so much better than I ever imagined. Uh, no, it's really, really fun to be with you. I'm so excited about new series, just fall season, all the stuff that God is doing in our church and in your lives personally. Um, anybody get outside a lot this summer like I did? Anyone go for a hike or go camp or summer? Okay, perfect. So I... Uh, I loved being outside this summer. It was probably one of my favorite things. Even yesterday, I got to go for a run in the woods. It was like, oh, man, I just needed that for my soul. It was so, so fulfilling. And one of the, the scenes that comes to my mind when I think about being out in the wild, out in the wilderness, is actually a photo of a guy named Christopher McCandless. Now, Christopher McCandless at this stage can barely etch the words that I'm about to share with you. And here's why. Christopher McCandless... Uh, throughout his life, had this discontent, didn't feel like he fit in, didn't feel like he belonged, felt like society was all kinds of broken, and decided that after he graduated college, he was going to burn all of his money, get rid of all his possessions, and, and find a way to hitchhike to Alaska. And so that's what he does. Over the next couple of years, he slowly builds his way out to Fairbanks, Alaska, incredibly remote part of the Alaskan wilderness, and decides, I'm going to get dropped off on some random dirt road and I'm going to hike in as far as I can. I'm going to live off the land. I'm just going to be in the wild by myself. Some of you, that sounds like heaven. Some of you, that sounds like torture. For Christopher McCandless, this was the dream. It was like if I could just get rid of all of these people in my life, all these problems would go away, and I could finally be alone in the wild. So he makes it in April of 1992. April of 1992, Christopher McCandless gets into this Alaskan wilderness begins hunting, fishing, foraging, doing all the things. He finds his old bus that hunters had used for shelter, and he begins to make that his home. Well, by September of 1992, with, with barely any ounce of energy left, Christopher McCandless is writing with incredibly long, bony fingers due to starvation. Happiness is only real when shared. And moments after that, maybe days after that, we're not quite sure, he's found dead in this bus, weighing only 66 pounds. He had died of starvation, but moreover, as people study Christopher McCandless' story and other people like him, they discover that the real cause of Christopher McCandless' death is not that he ate the wrong potato plant or that he didn't gather enough food or didn't process meat well enough. The real, the real killer of Christopher McCandless was a lack of community. It was a lack of people. It was a lack of, of support, a lack of a network, a lack of a family. He just was out there by himself and barely made it through the summer. Now, modern research would affirm all of that stuff. Like, 
Uh, let me give you just a couple things. Like loneliness and isolation are linked to sleep problems, inflammation, immune changes, specifically in younger adults, but in older people, they're tied to symptoms such as pain, insomnia, depression, anxiety, and shorter lifespan. And people of all ages, they may be associated with higher risk of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, addiction, suicide, self-harm, and even dementia. In short, a lack of real community kills us. Aren't you just so glad you came to church today? Aren't you just so excited? Like, that, that's bad news for us. Because many of us find our lives, if we took honest inventory, and we would look around and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't have the community I think I really need to have. I can identify a lot more with Christopher McCandless than I can the way that Jesus has wired us. And if you go to the very beginning of the Scripture story, Genesis 2, you find out that God cares about community. He cares about who we are in community with. So if you would, turn in your Bible, or if you have a phone, you can pull it up. Genesis 2, we're going to read 18 through 25. I just want to kind of walk us through this slowly and point out a few things. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man, this is Adam, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Quick pause. If, if it's me and God on the earth, and God's like, hey, I have a job for you. Would you like to name every single animal? I'd be like, yes. I don't need a wife for that, though. Like, I could just, I could do it. You know, like, it sounds like a pretty cushy job that Adam has. He's in the garden. All the needs are met. He's in relationship vertically with, with the Lord, his creator. And then he gets this sweet job. He's like, could you name all the animals? And Adam's like, yeah. But then this next verse is at the tail end of verse 20. It says, but for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, he sees Eve. He's like, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is how this passage in Genesis 2 concludes. And here's what I want you to see. In the very beginning of the story, there's a garden. And this garden is a geographic location for God and humankind to have community. God was not content to just be up in heaven with the Trinity, there was community there. He's fulfilled, he's satisfied, but there was a longing in his heart. I don't know why, I'm not God, but he had a desire in his heart to dwell with his creation. And he creates his garden, this place of community. And the first realization God has after all this stuff is created is this. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for human beings to live isolated, disconnected, detached lives from other people. And it doesn't just describe the vertical relationship. That's significant enough. It also describes how we are supposed to relate to one another, the possibilities of human relationships. Verse 25, right? Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no what? Say that word if you got your Bible. They felt no what? Shame. They felt no shame. 
Can you imagine a life like that? Can you imagine a reality like that? Can you imagine a marriage, a friendship, an apartment like that? Like being fully you and feeling no shame about fully you. This is what is on the table in Genesis 2. Like, here's the thing you need to know. They were safe enough, Adam and Eve, they were safe enough to be known by God and one another. Like, vertically, they had, there was safety. They could be themselves. They could be real. They could be honest. They could depend on God for whatever they needed. But they also had no shame between them, no barriers, no obstacles, no hesitancy to the relationship. They were fully naked and fully without shame. Now, I get it, 2023, right? That sounds ideal. But there are a lot of good reasons why you and I keep ourselves from true community. I mean, I can just list off a couple. I mean, one would be technology and social media, right? How is it that we have a tool in which you can present yourself at one, as one way but really be a totally different person? How can you think you're maybe dating someone and they turn out to be someone different? How can you uh, try to link up with someone in a, in a college room or in like an apartment and you're like, uh, I thought we were going to be good roommates. This is not working out super well. Or how can you go to a workplace? You're like, I think it's like this. And you actually get there and it's not. Or you're looking for a house and you're like, yeah, this house looks way better on Zillow than it does in real life. You know, like technology and social media have blurred the lines of, of what's real and what's not. It makes true community, true relationship difficult. Take cultural divides, for instance. Take political divides, like the fact that we are so divided into tribes and who we like and who we vote for and who we follow creates all sorts of issues for us to have real, true community with other people. Because as soon as that topic gets floated out, boom, the room separates. Boom, the conversation changes. The Facebook comments go off. Whatever it is, we, we divide over those things. How about busyness? Uh, Lindsay and I literally sat down last night. And she's like, I think we should talk about our fall calendar. Like, we've got two kids now. They've got appointments. They've got fun things they're supposed to be going to. You've got stuff at night. You've got stuff during the day. I've got stuff at night. I've got stuff during the day. We've got church stuff. We've got work stuff. We've got family stuff. We've got vacation trips. We need to, like, figure out the fall. I was like, I am so game for that. Let's sit down. So we sat down, and she's like, here's the catch. We are so busy, we can only manage this one week at a time. So just tell me your next week. And so we just sat down and went through the next week. Anyone's fall feel that psycho, or is that just me? You know, like, it's just like, oh, my gosh. When I look at my calendar, it's like, how is There's so many colors. There's so many colors on this thing. So many things are on this calendar. Like, real busyness, if you're busy all the time, if you have no margin, you have no room for community. You have no room for true relationships. You're just doing things. You're just moving from one thing to the next. How about this? How about past wounds and hurt? That is probably, of all these, maybe the most significant obstacle for us to engage real community, to experience the community Jesus has for us. Why? Because we, as soon as we get into a relationship, as soon as we get into a group, as soon as we show up to that cookout or show up to that service or, or show up to the prayer room, like, if they really knew what I was like, they're going to do the same things those people did. They're going to reject me. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to smear me online. They're going to do whatever. And I don't want to go through that. I, I would rather be like Christopher McCandless. I'd rather just be isolated, be by myself. 
than to tend to go through that same hurt and, and open those wounds again. So can I give you more bad news? The bad news is this. It will never be safe horizontally to be fully known. It will never be safe horizontally between you and I. And here's why I say it will never be safe. I'm not saying it, there's not a possibility for it to get better. But here's the bad news. You cannot predict how people are going to respond to you. And you cannot control how people are going to respond to you. I wish I could. I wish I could micromanage your perceptions of me. I wish I could decide how you will react when I share that thing or ask for prayer for that thing or finally go the last 10% of honesty in a relationship and know it's going to be okay. Like, I, I wish I could do that, but as soon as you share your weaknesses and your sin and the real you, there is a liability on, on, online that you could be rejected, harassed, mocked, kicked out of the team, kicked out of the group, judged, misunderstood. Like, it'll never be safe horizontally between humans to be fully known. You know, I know this is that I have a two-year-old who teaches me this. Uh, for instance, this past uh, August, we were hanging out, and my mother-in-law was in town, and she comes, they go to Grand Haven every single summer for a week, and she's like, you know what I think? And we decided as a family, like, I think Lennon's old enough to have a grandma sleepover. What do you think? And she's like, I'm all about it. And so so she sent us pictures all night long, like we went out on the boat, we went swimming, she made George Washington stuff with her hair. So now she says George Washington with her long hair. Like, she's all these things. It was so fun for her. We went, we had ice cream at like 9 o'clock. Lennon's normally in bed at like 7 o'clock. It was an amazing time. And then she slept so hard. And then we picked her up the next morning. And she, have you ever seen The Incredibles? You see where that kid pops into a fireball? <laughs> That's what I lived. I lived that. She popped off. As soon as she got in the car with Lindsay and I, just went nuts, screaming, crying, couldn't, couldn't console her, couldn't do anything to get her to calm down. It was like the longest drive home from Grand Haven ever in history. She was just crazy throwing this tantrum. And here's what I've learned about toddler tantrums. you got kids, you know this. The most illogical thing about them is that toddlers do not throw tantrums around people that they don't feel safe around that they don't know fully. Why? Because toddlers are trusting you with their full range of emotions. Like Lena was so tired, but she was the whole time running around on the boat, 9 o'clock ice cream, all this stuff, and she's just like running on adrenaline, and she's around a bunch of people she doesn't really know that well, doesn't see too often. And as soon as she got in the car with Lindsay and I, she just lost it. Why? Because it was safe enough for her to be fully known. And if I look at my own life, like most of the sin, most of the self-inflicted pain and, and, and shame I have caused in my own life has arisen from deciding I'll never be safe enough to be fully known, that there's no place, horizontally or vertically, to be fully myself and be okay. And let me just tell you, a little bit more bad news before we get to the good news. Here's the more bad news. The more of it is that in affluent communities like Southwest Grand Rapids, like the place you and I live, affluent communities have an even harder time than the average community of having real community. 
Why? Because we have more resources. We're more mobile. We leave more. We have bigger garage doors. We have nicer lawns to take care of. We have images to protect. We have kids to make sure that they, they behave the, the certain way. We have all of these perceptions to manage around us. And so we spend all of our life doing that instead of living in the community Jesus has wired us for. All sorts of things. And this is not just people with a ton of money either. Like how is it you can be a stay-at-home mom surrounded by five little kids? That, those, those are people, right? They are human beings in the, in the room. And you can feel more alone, more by yourself, more isolated than you have ever felt in your whole life. How is it that you can be the varsity basketball star, scoring all the points, making all the stat sheets, getting all the praise, all the accolades? How can you be that? And you leave the practice, you leave the game, even if you won the game, and you go home and you sit in your room and you feel like you've never been more alone than you are right now. That you are isolated, that no one, if they, if they knew the real you, they would reject you, they would, they would kick you out. Of, the t- uh, uh, of their community. How, how is it that you can be in church for decades, show up to the service, worship, give, serve, and, and feel like, you know what, when I look around this room, there's no one safe enough to know all of it, the full version of me, the, the real me. Because it's, it's never safe horizontally to be fully known. Are you ready for the good news? Here's the good news. That only in the community of Jesus is it safe enough to be known. Only in the community of Jesus, only in the community that shares one common bond, not who we vote for, not how we dress, not where we like to eat, not the fact that Chipotle is better than Qdoba, none of that stuff. What is, what is the most true about us is that we have been changed by the person of Jesus. We have been rescued from the dominion of death and darkness and set into a kingdom of light. That we have hope. It anchors our soul. It it, it anchors our identity. We who are far from Jesus have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were divided by ethnicities and race and, and, and political choices and cultural backgrounds, and how much money you had growing up versus how much money you didn't have growing up, Jesus says that I came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2, and I'm setting up a new family, a new community, and in that family, it is safe enough to be known. The whole you, all of it, good, bad, ugly, and the ugliest, it's all welcome because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he has done. I can just tell you, it's, it's that community of Jesus that has transformed my life. I'm a natural introvert, so community for me has to be intentional. And God is good enough sometimes. He's just like, hey, if you're not going to be intentional, I'm going to put an amazing person in your life. I'm going to put amazing church in your life. I'm going to put an amazing group in your life, an amazing spouse in your life to help you stay on that path. Like some of you know our, our own journey this summer. Uh, I didn't spend too much time outside, way less than I want. I spent a lot of time inside inside hospital rooms and clinics and all this stuff, as our daughter, uh, Eden, who's just about to be five months old, had open heart surgery. And so we're sitting in the hospital in Ann Arbor, and I'm just like, wow, I feel pretty isolated. Like, my best friends are nurses, and they leave every 12 hours. (laughs) And some of them are so bad at small talk, I feel like that should be part of the training. You know, just like, you got to figure out a way to make a connection somewhere. Like, 
And so I was just craving real relationships, real human people that I knew and, and loved me. And some of you stepped into that. Some of you texted and called. Some of you wrote notes. Some of you were there and just checked in. And that, that boosted us. That gave us hope. My family rearranged their summer plans to spend some time just sitting in the hospital room, just with us, going to get us coffee, going to get us lunch, just sitting there with us. And can I just tell you, that changed the dynamics of what was one of the hardest things we've ever been through. And here's the other good news. You can feel, just like Adam and Eve, you can feel no shame when it's safe vertically to be the real you. When you are rooted in the safety that following and surrendering your life to Jesus brings. When you, you can get to a new place, friends, of trust, vulnerability, deep relationships with other people. When you have something on the inside of you that is not dependent on whether or not others accept or approve or affirm you. Those people are magnetic to be around. Those people get it. Those people understand what this community is really for. They understand that because of the work Jesus has done, because of the identity he offers us, that you and I do not have to base our life on what other people say, other people think, other people perceive about us. It's safe in that context to be the real you. And it changes the human relationships you're in. Friends, honestly, most of the healing work Jesus has done in my life has been the genuine, raw, honest community God has put in my life these last couple years. People like my wife, we've been married for almost 10 years. It's her. It's just we've gone to a new level. It's been really hard of honesty and transparency with one another. I can just say she has been a catalyst in my life for healing. I can say that about my friend Evan. God just put him in my life these last couple years. I just I needed somebody like that who knows all the junk, all the stuff. I can go the last 10% with him. I can go the last 10% with my prayer partner, Jason, who almost every single week for the last 10 years we've been getting on a call together to pray and share and confess sin. I I need those people. Uh, Some of you knew, like uh, back in August, right before this whole surgery thing, I spent a couple weeks out at Mount Rainier National Park hiking the Wonderland Trail. And I'm out there and... uh, I had the privilege to go with my boss, Brian, and I also got to go with my, like, counselor spiritual director named Greg. And Lindsay goes, once the trip got solidified and we actually bought the plane tickets, she's like, hold on a second. You're going with Brian and Greg. Aren't you going to cry, like, every night? (laughs) Like, your pastor and your counselor, that sounds like an emotional train wreck for you. And it wasn't quite a train wreck, but I definitely, uh, some things were unearthed. But what I want to do when things are hardest in my life is I want to insulate myself. I want to withdraw. I want to remove myself from the equation, just like Christopher McCandless, just like many of us do in so many different ways. But can I show you that the way to true healing and true community is actually the same thing? If you read with me, I want to read this out loud. 1 John 1.7. This is what it says. I want us to read this together. Here we go. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's read that one more time. Let's read it out loud. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What a promise. 
purifies us from the sin everybody knows about. That's not what that says. Purifies us from the sin that you choose to let people know about. No, it says it purifies you from all of it. And can I give you the hope one more time? It says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, that's vertical. We have fellowship with one another. We have community with one another. We have honest, transparent, vulnerable relationships with one another. It is safe enough to be known. When, when, the, when the vertical relationship is figured out. Some of you, the real clear next step, maybe to see a counselor. Maybe to get some, some, a strong marriage next to your marriage. and Maybe to, to reach out to somebody and, and make a friend. Or maybe to lean over on your own and be like, hey, you want to go to coffee? Like, I don't have any friends. Like, maybe it's that. For us, we kind of use this vehicle over the summer called Center Cookout. It's a chance for us to eat together, to build a relationship. And we're going to roll more of that out this fall. We're going to do more stuff like that this fall. And I would encourage you, sign up. Join one. Don't do this alone. Sign up for a cookout, centerjar.com slash groups. It, it will change the trajectory of your, of your spiritual journey this fall. I promise you that. And I want to lead us to, to one final idea. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a martyr for his faith during the Second World War, listen to what he writes about community. I think this is so, so powerful. He says this, Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true, not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. No, it remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says next. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us recedes. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We're not talking about get, get some people in your life who you have stuff in common with. No, the community of Jesus does not depend on whether or not you have things in common. The community of Jesus is the only safe place to be fully known, just as you are. Quirks and all. Sin and all. Struggles and all. Vulnerabilities, weaknesses, and all. And just like the Genesis 2 story begins in a garden, just like our story begins in a garden, look with me in Revelation 22, and here's where we're going to end. Listen to the words. This is John, the, the disciple, getting a revelation about what is, what is the end like. Like when this whole story wraps up, what's it going to be like? Revelation 22, verse 1, listen to this revelation, this this word he gets from Jesus. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Sound familiar? No longer will there be any curse. The leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Listen to this promise. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever.
The beginning of the story starts with a geographic location which God wants to dwell with humanity, where it's safe to be known by God and other people. And that's how the story ends, too. With a garden, Eden, restored. Relationships with other people, restored. Relationships with God, fully restored. Things made right again. And I think of how many of us settle for Christopher McCandless type lives, that type of community. And the truth is, just like we said at the beginning, lack of community can kill you. But Jesus died for you to experience a community that gives life and life to the full. That's the invitation on the table for you. That's the promise. That's where this story is going. And so we wanted to celebrate that in really the only way I can think to celebrate that. It's to share in the meal of communion together. And communion is this. It's, it is a reenactment, reenactment really, of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And Jesus, in this moment, he gathers his closest community, his, his disciples around, and he says, let's, let's celebrate Passover together. And he gets bread, he gets wine, they sit down at this table, and they've done this a bunch of times. They, they've done Passover. It's this reenactment of the story of Israel where they're, Trapped in bondage, hundreds of years of slavery and imprisonment and harassment. God sets them free by his own presence. And then he, he passes over them. He spares their life. And they celebrate this meal over and over again as a way for their community to retell the story. And so Jesus gathers those guys around. And he says, let's, let's do that together. I know I'm about to go to the cross. My, my time on earth, this ministry career, these last couple years we've journeyed together, it's about to be over. He gathers them around. They take the bread. He breaks it says, this is my body broken for you. This is not just an old story. This is the present reality. And this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is not just for your ancestors. This is not just for your, your, the generations that came before you. This is for you. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sin, your shame, your darkness, your brokenness, the stuff nobody else knows about. I am dying. I died for that. And communion, friends, that's just a way to do the same thing, to gather together around the table and say, Jesus, we need that reminder. We need that promise. We need that hope before us. Now, if you've been to Center Church for any length of time, we've done communion before, and we're going to do it different than we've ever done before. And here's what we're going to do. So as we sing this next song, right through those double doors, there'll be a table. We're going to have somebody move that kind of to the middle of this space here as those, as those doors are open. And when that happens, uh, Jack, our pastoral resident who's up here, he's going to go and he's going to break the bread, and there's a cup of, ju- of grape juice there as well. And Jack is going to serve. Whoever wants to be first, he's going to serve that person in communion. And then the invitation for you is to turn around behind you and serve the person behind you. And you're like, okay, so you got to rip the bread off, you got to dip it in the cup, you got to take communion. John, isn't that super messy and illogical? Yeah, 100%. There are way more effective ways to do communion in a space like this, but that's sort of the point. The point is that that's what real community is like. Your house is like that. We want our house to be like that. We want to be a real community because only in the community of Jesus is it safe enough to be fully known. And so I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to enact, we're going to join in that meal together as we worship. Father, I just want to say thank you. 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for resurrection life. Thank you that this meal is not just a symbol. It is something to participate in in the here and now. It's a sign to us of your kingdom breaking in your grace fresh in our lives. And God, we need it. We need it so bad. And you are longing to give it to us. God, I pray that as we take this meal, you just remind us that you are the centerpiece of any real community. You're, you're the shared bond. You're, you're the tie that connects us. It's you and your sacrifice that give us the freedom to not just root our identities in you and in what you've done, but also to transform and allow the relationships around us to be healed. And so we pray, God, as we serve one another, we'd be reminded of the Son of Man who came to seek and to save and ultimately to serve, God, those who are lost. We praise you and we worship you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. I invite Jack to go back and set the table. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com slash new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.